I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to All Things Policy. I'm Aditya Ramanathan. Today, as we sometimes do, we're going to take a step back from the events of the day and instead try and understand our past a little better. Specifically today, we want to talk about the Royal Indian Navy and its exploits in the Second World War and the legacy of its involvement in that conflict. To discuss this today, we're joined by a very special guest, Commodore Oracle Johnson. Uh, Commodore Johnson is a serving naval officer. He's the director of the Maritime Historical Society. He's also the author of the book, Timeless Wake, The Legacy of the Royal Indian Navy During World War II. Uh, which is a superb and very readable book on the subject. Uh, so firstly, welcome, Commodore. It's a great pleasure to have you on All Things Policy. Thank you, Aratha. It's glad to be here with uh, Takshashila and uh, especially in light of all that you do. Glad to join uh, this book. Wonderful, yeah. Uh, I'm also joined by my colleague, Ad- Aditya Parikh. So, so today you'll have two Adityas on this episode. Uh, but I want to start, Commodore Johnson, by you know maybe setting a little context for our listeners. Firstly, why did you get interested in the Royal Indian Navy? I mean, obviously, you know, Royal Indian Navy is this is the predecessor to our Indian Navy. But uh, how did the RIN come to be, and you know, what was its state in the eve of war in 1939? How did it fit into the broader strategic picture? I mean, this is a mouthful, but maybe if you just uh, tell us how you got interested and what this RIN actually looked like uh, on the eve of the Second World War. Yeah, uh, I think that's a great place to start. So let me try and put this both from a personal point as well as from the uh, historical setting. Being in the Navy uh, as part of my readings, both professional and personal, uh, the entire dimension of the maritime sector, including its historical elements, has been a part of mandatory reading and also the uh, a personal interest. A few years prior to this project, I was asked to do a paper for the Maritime History Society and I had a chance to do something related to the Anglo-French wars in the Bay of Bengal. And then it just happened that there was a repeat next year and I did something about the connect between the Kaling Coast, modern-day Odisha and uh, Bali in Indonesia. Uh, Perhaps uh, two successive interactions with the society uh, led then uh, late Admiral J.G. Nadkarni, uh, who was working on these two uh, projects on the uh, naval uprising and the RIN operations, for a serving officer to write about it so that there is a clear perspective. So that came to me and uh, uh, then I started looking at it, at the whole subject, because I do not come from a classic history background. But briefly, if I could say this, any study of the Royal Indian Navy during World War II gets set as a event which is timeless across the large uh, naval heritage or the maritime heritage in India. Whether we like it or not, the arrival of Captain Bess Cotton in 1612 
did set a chain of events over the next uh, few centuries that finally transitioned post the World War into what we have as the initially the Royal Indian Navy, continue to have that name, and the Indian Navy. So after I did my preliminary work in uh, getting the data for the book, this idea of a wake, now at sea a wake is what is left behind when a ship passes. And with technology, you can detect the wake long after a ship has passed. So it's something which is timeless. And my reading convinced me that the Indian naval contribution in World War II was a timeless way in the transition from an earlier history to what would determine the uh, naval capability of India, how Indian Navy would be shaped, how early planners would write. So it was a fascinating account of uh, uh, Indians who took part from North Atlantic to Singapore Straits, from the Arakans, modern-day Myanmar, to Madagascar, from the East African coast, and uh, right to the heart of the Indian Ocean. So it was a fascinating canvas almost across the globe. And so that is the setting of this book. And I think I learned more than what probably I have written. So that's a bit of a lead into how I came to write them. Okay. Um, and what did the RIN look like in 1939? You know, it was a fairly small force at that time from what I understand. And, you know, it wasn't really set up to fight in a global conflict. So how did it fit into the strategic picture of Britain? You know, because the Royal Indian Navy was at this time in relative decline, but it was still one of the leading navies of the world. Uh, where did uh, the RIN fit into that strategic calculus of the British? Uh, you are asking at something which is very, very significant. And uh, even Britain, uh, which is considered to have a deeply conscious maritime spirit, did not escape from what I call strategic and sea blindness. Uh, how I do that is, or how I comment on that is, you know, in the First World War, the Royal Indian Marine, which was a predecessor to the Royal Indian Navy, acquitted with great glory in the Suez in stopping Turkish and German forces to overwhelm the Suez Canal, which would have caused disaster. And uh, Indian contribution through the Lashkars and various coastal communities were part of this force. And they did a great job. But despite that, uh, as soon as the First World War got over, some of the planners just decided that the RIM should go back to kind of survey and that mode. That decline was quite sad. Fortunately, there were a few uh, sea-minded people in the Admiralty, particularly Admiral Morby. Uh, then there was a Rawlinson Committee, a Chatfield Committee. But the sum total is, come 1939, we just had... Uh, five ships which were part and the RIN was not even responsible for the naval defense of India. Interestingly, with a lot of conversation by the late 1920s, uh, it was decided, well, there will be a Royal Indian Navy. But the bill to pass the Indian Naval Discipline Act failed by one vote. So it, very interestingly, political factors. And then five years later, 1934, 
the Royal Indian Navy got commissioned on 2nd of October in what is today the Naval uh, Dockyard Dispensary in Mumbai. So that was the headquarters of the Flag Officer Commanding Royal Indian Navy. As the war clouds were approaching, somehow the whole concept of what the RIM would do during the war still did not find the significance in the planners. All the Royal Indian Navy had the boats called HMIS Clive, Cornwallis and Lawrence. And all three of them were sloops commissioned to the towards the end of the Great War, the World War I, and they were still all set to be decommissioned. There were just two boats, HMIS Hindustan and HMIS Indus, which were built in the 1930s and they didn't have, they just had some three-pounders and low uh, anti-aircraft guns. It wasn't a force that could have any defense. What is fascinating is, on 3rd of September, when Britain decides that she's joining the war, and Lord Linglitto, then was Viceroy, declares India at war, and some people didn't like it, within that day itself, two of the ships of the Royal Indian Navy were out on patrol. The ones which were said to be scrapped were the ones first in patrol. And within that first one month, all five of these boats were in the Persian Gulf, were in East Africa, were patrolling along the Indian naval coast. And the RIN planners and the commander-in-chief, the Indian Armed Forces, was forced to commission a lot of ships uh, take it what we call stuffed ships taken up from trade and merchant ships and crafts and begin a series of expansion which they could have well set. And the actions of the war would prove that you can never allow sea blindness to cloud the strategic picture. It was true then, it was true historically, as some of our historical accounts would prove, it is true today. Fortunately, today there is better attention, but that was the setting of the strategic setting uh, in the uh, early part of the outbreak of the World War. Parikh, all yours? Yeah, first of all, uh, Commodore, sir, let me say that to, uh, to interact with you is to meet one's hero in real life today. Uh, even though digitally, I am honored to uh, interact with you, sir. So, uh, sir, I just have two brief questions. Uh, so, uh, the Royal Indian Navy's actions in the Second World War included several amazing stories. So, could you tell us in particular about uh, the exploits of uh, HMIS Bengal? Yes. Let me begin by saying this. Uh, I call it the Tiger Tail Bengal Bravery, and you could read it in Chapter 10 of the book, uh, it's a classic David versus Goliath story. Uh, briefly to put the background, HMIS Bengal was a Bathurst-class minesweeper which was built in Australia for the Royal Indian Navy. And somewhere in the middle of 1942, uh, under the command of Lieutenant Commander W.J. Wilson of Royal Indian Naval Reserves, along with a number of Indian sailors, had gone to what is today Fremantle in Perth, Western Australia. This Minesweeper was just 650 tons, which is, if you have actually seen vessels uh, close by, it's not a very large ship. And in its very maiden passage from uh, Fremantle to India, it was given the task of escorting 
merchant vessel Ondina, which was a Dutch tanker on passage to Diego Garcia uh, uh, in the Indian Ocean. And on 11th of November, when she was some thousand miles southwest of Java, Bengal sighted in horizon uh, a contact coming and she had no other information. Long story short, this vessel ran into two Japanese armed cruisers, uh, one of 8,000 tons and one of 10,000 tons uh, the, of the Kunikova Maru class, two of the uh, vessels which uh, just encountered. And there was a fierce gun battle. Now, a minesweeper is not designed to take across an armed cruiser or even have anti-shipping guns. But uh, Wilson took charge and Bengal made, uh, there's a classic maneuver in those days, make smoke and Ondina was told to lie off. Of course, she didn't go anywhere. And this battle royale between um, the uh, two Japanese cruisers and Bengal, one of the cruisers sank and just vanished. The other one limped across and uh, went back. By the time smoke cleared, there was no one on site. Bengal was hit badly in the after portion, uh, but it's, uh, it could still float. And she escorted uh, Ondina for a while, but then the speeds were very different. And a classic battle. Bengal made passage back to Indian waters. She arrives in Colombo. Uh, there is uh, preliminary repairs done. And this little Bengal tiger, I call, comes to Bombay to a heroic welcome. People lined the streets. There was a grand public welcome. And it just displays at sea. Size doesn't always matter. It's location. It is strategy. It is tactics. So it's a fascinating long account. And in that, uh, there were the Indian crew were uh, given many of the uh, distinguished awards. And of course, HMS Bengal went on to prove its work in the Singapore Straits and later minesweeping operations. So, a fascinating uh, account. The interesting part is the first version of the operations in the Royal Indian Navy, in uh, which was written in 1961, completely skips Bengal. And I always have this one wonder whether it was intentional. But the later version, uh, written by Commander Hastings in 1980s. Uh, built on the accounts of the RIN Officers Association. That has Bengal. So I found this story when I was visiting the National Maritime Museum archives in Greenwich. And it was an honor to put this whole story. Classic story, must read, and I wish a separate piece is made of it. Yeah, that's that's actually fascinating uh, and how, how you do the research on this. But uh, do you have any theories I want to ask you, sir, about why uh, the story of Bengal was omitted in the first account in 1961? Uh, I don't know, but uh, in, when I took the project, I decided that I will probe every story. You know, both the accounts written by Instructor Lefton Collins and Commander Hastings were very classic 1960-1970 mold historical. But the stories were all messed up in terms of timelines and geography and location. So my big job was to sort out and find what is called a twin evidence record. So unless I found two, three accounts corroborating, I didn't put it. Bengal is completely missing in the first account unless there's a passing reference which I missed. I don't know, was it just the data being missed or was it that uh, by the time Commander Hastings write there is data or is it 
I was very clear that I was going to showcase the RIN uh, crew, officers and sailors, especially Indian contribution, because I find often the Indian narrative is quite unsung in many of the colonial records. So I am not saying a thesis that's the case, uh, but I had the opportunity and I had multiple uh, accounts to corroborate the story. So I went and put a prominent place right in the center of so, sir, as you uh, said that uh, a lot of uh, uh, the Royal Indian Navy's personnel remain unsung for their contribution in the Second World War. So, two names especially spring to mind. Uh, one of uh, uh, Vice Admiral Neil Kantha Krishnan, who most people, if they read uh, Indian war history, uh, Indian military history, they would remember him as the uh, chief of uh, Eastern Naval Command uh, during the 1971 war. But he, in fact, had an illustrious uh, career during World War II in the Royal Indian Navy as well. And uh, Admiral Bhaskar Soman, uh, who also uh, had a great career in uh, the Second World War in the Royal Indian Navy. So could you tell us a little more in detail uh, about their exploits during the war? Oh, that will be glad to... And uh, again, on both, uh, I I will be very happy as a researcher to give credit to the work that was done before. Admiral Krishnan's son Arjun writes this account in a sailor's story. And uh, I've taken most of the story from there. Of course, I've corroborated it with some parts. Let me share his story first. Uh, in fact, Lieutenant, then Lieutenant Neelkanta Krishnan uh, is one of the only two uh, uh, officers who was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross. And this is a very interesting uh, story. He was on uh, HMI's investigator and uh, by the uh, by 1941, early August, uh, he had been, uh, the ship had been sent to um, the Persian Gulf. Uh, there were operations in Abadan and uh, uh, many stories were there and they were with the uh, uh, Royal Australian ship called Yara and uh, a frigate Falmouth, and they were there. So in one of these operations, uh, they were off Kurram Shahir, and uh, then uh, Lieutenant Krishnan was put in charge of a team on a tugboat, and they approached Kurram Shahir, and there are three, four gunboats. Now, interestingly, the story is sometimes mixed up, and there is a story that uh, Lieutenant Krishnan killed Admiral uh, of the Persian uh, Navy, which is not true. The boat was named after the Admiral. So that's the story. Anyway, he lands up there and he takes uh, his patrol position. And at uh, and there was, uh, then they get detected. And by about four in the morning, there is firing taking place on the gunboat. So Krishnan with his team, uh, prominently uh, a guy called P.G. Pandey and uh, uh, Suminder Singh, he, he splits his party into two. And they just enter the gunboat through two hatches from two different sides. It's a long story, but twice he's surprised and he just turns a few seconds before that out of sheer instinct. And he says in one, I just had a deafening explosion next to my ears. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been here to tell the story. But Krishnan catches the commanding officer of the boat and he threatens him ask his team to surrender. And then he, he holds his fist up and says, I have a grenade. Now the CEO knew that he was just pulling a fast one. But then with a gun pushed against him, Krishnan's gun, he actually tells his crew to surrender. So it's a commando-like exploit. 
in the normal naval operations except for marine commandos you don't hear of stories like this but krishnan in this fascinating story of bravado and innovativeness and by his tactics of splitting the team surrounding it captured the gunboat and of course the allies just uh, take over kurram sher so that is classic uh, krishnan a, bra- a, bra- a story of bravado over there if i come to bhaskar soman uh, again in bhaskar soman's case uh, major general shashikant pitre has uh, written a complete account on on bhaskar soman uh, but uh, i am torn between two stories but let me see uh, if i can share this you know one of the first operations the rin was asked to help was uh, to uh, rescue berbera which is in the uh, in along the east africa and it was under the italian italian occupation people know that italians had stormed and taken over modern day ethiopia uh bhaskar soman goes with a, again a boarding party on a boat they switch off engines they just row the boat and his second in command is a tall uh, uh, you know what is called uh, a tall british sergeant uh like uh, petty officer john akersley and 20 sailors they land on this italian garrison and find everyone asleep okay so without a shot being fired they just take over the detachment but the problem was they still don't know where the uh the british garrison had been captured so uh bhaskar soman feigns this kind of he puts on an air and he mumbles something to john akersley and john akersley takes one of the soldiers and takes him behind a wall and you hear gunshots and then he again comes and there is some conversation which goes on he and takes a second one of course the soldiers start singing like a canary and they released actually nobody had been shot so that kind of thinking on the feet uh, i won't tell the story of uh, galileo galilei but uh, bhaskar soman was also part of a, a crew that captured an italian submarine uh, literally the italians had abandoned it and he had temporary command of this italian submarine with a white flag on it so fascinating accounts i uh, these are these are some prominent accounts i get thinking on their feet being innovative being tactically sound and knowing the overall gravity of the situation soman and krishnan definitely heroes uh, of the rin and made a great contribution to the war victories yeah what uh, what really fascinates me is that the rin did not just uh, uh, conduct operations in uh, in in the, in the indian ocean but also as far away as as the atlantic can you maybe just tell us briefly what their role was in those in such far away waters uh it's true uh, so in a way the rin was not deployed in the north atlantic but what happened is as you, as i mentioned in the start the existing force levels were grossly insufficient so uh, the rin uh, decided to commission uh, six sloops and that is where you have the satluj and, uh, and a whole series of ships uh, which uh, they so the admiralty had decided to form something called a red sea force and uh, the uh, six fresh troops had been uh, commissioned and brought uh, were built in the uk now before they could uh, uh, leave the uk they did uh, conduct certain operations and uh, even take part in the uh, clyde blitz attack 
uh, and that part. Now, I haven't written too much of details because the specific contribution is a little uh, thin uh, of what they had uh, physically done. But uh, uh, Satluj, which was one of the uh, uh, two ships which was commissioned, Satluj, Jamna, and, and those ships did take part in the Sicily operations. Actually, North Atlantic was a specific operation, but they took part in Sicily operations before the Allies could overrun uh, the continent and uh, embark on it. Uh, Satlitz, uh, RIN ship was a lead ship in anti-submarine operations and uh, they worked extensively. They sailed all the way after arrival in India. They had sailed up over there and they were part of the East African task or East, Eastern task force, East Mediterranean task force and uh, the overall uh, General Montgomery was the overall commander and their operations uh, it, it's it's uh, covered in, uh, uh, in in the ocean called far seas so uh, north atlantic a little bit sicily operations quite significant and what is important is more than than the action there were these young indian officers and the sailors who would find these war operations which could guide them in planning the navy of the future so fascinating work in the North Atlantic and uh, tremendous operations, specific naval operations in, in Sicily. Of course, there are other operations of Seychelles and other places. Great operational experience through the war times. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about this operational experience, uh, you know, uh, both of us, Adityas over here are very deeply interested in military history and especially naval history. And we, we never cease to be amazed to just how little awareness there is of India's own maritime past, right? I mean, even today, there's fairly little awareness about the RIN in India. But before we close, I, I want to ask you, you know, historians tell us that uh, colonial India's military expansion in the early 40s during the war was really the first steps towards it becoming a, a regional power of sorts after independence. So I want to ask you, what impact did the Second World War have on the RIN specifically? And on the people who served in it, you know, people like uh, Admiral Krishnan, like Soman. And so, so what is its broader legacy? And, you know, is how relevant is that to us uh, sitting here today in 2020? You asked something very, very apt. And let me begin. I mean, I've captured most of this in my closing chapter called A Living Legacy. Let me, before the specifics of the World War, recognize a reality of geography. If you look at the map of the Indian Ocean, the peninsula of India you know, is a geographical, it's geographically very clear where it operates. Whatever you do, the geographical expanse of India and its expanded maritime zone have a sphere of influence that cannot be shied away from. And so the legacy of Indian Navy, which uh, despite constraints, has an origin which is shaped by our own maritime heritage and even during the period of experience of what is called the colonial past. Uh, we may not relish the colonial component of it, but there was a great experience and even the uh, British past uh, survived on the contribution of these places. What the World War II did is bring back to focus the importance of the of naval power and with that as a core, the larger comprehensive maritime power, which is shipbuilding, 
ports, a maritime mindedness, education, coastal communities, the fishing sector, the oil and gas. Maritime power is not purely naval. It is actually looking at seas as our extended area and sphere of influence. The World War II experience realized that you could be Indian uh, from your origin and your choice of vocation in the Navy, but you could be operating in the North Atlantic. You could be operating in the Singapore Straits. Or if you were on HMIS Godavari, you could be doing a long chase of a carrier taking you all the way up to Seychelles. Today, uh, whether it is the recent uh, motor tanker New Diamond incident, which where was a fire, the Navy along with uh, neighboring countries and the Coast Guard comes together to rescue. You have an incident that takes place in Mauritius and you have Indian naval ship Nirikshik over there. The sea is a place where there is scope for everyone. And I think we have to take our rightful legacy. The experience of the World War gave our early planners clarity of the scale and scope of this project. We just recently have been mourning as Virat has gone towards the scrapyard. But we thought of a carrier even before India got independence because the planners had seen what a carrier could do. We started thinking of submarines long before we actually approached the Foxtrot submarines. So what significance the RIN in World War II did is it opened up our minds to the possibility of what India needs. Today, the best tribute to that legacy is to take it forward. Fortunately, over the last uh, maybe a decade and a half, there is a resurgence of maritime thought. There is a recognition that it needs. The actual shape may be constrained by various factors. But I think the best tribute is India must never look back or step back from its clear march towards a maritime future. India is a maritime nation and our history and our legacy talks about it. That the best tribute is to take it forward and become in all dimensions. Yes, naval power, but all elements of maritime dimension. So that is what I would say is the true legacy of our Indian world. Amazing, yeah. I mean, we in uh, Takshashila also firmly believe that India has to not only understand and embrace its maritime heritage, but also embrace its maritime future, as you pointed out. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Commodore. This has been a really fascinating discussion, as expected. And we're so glad to have you here and to talk about this book and to talk about the RIN and, and to get these ideas and these stories out to a wider audience. Uh, now, listeners, if you're ever even remotely interested in military history, do check out Commodore Johnson's book. It's called Timeless Wake. We'll have a link to it in the description. Uh, definitely can. You definitely check it out. All right. Uh, once again, thank you so much, Commodore. Thank you, Aditya and Aditya, for the conversation. It's an honor to have you, sir. So uh, let me just close this line. We have this tagline, which is my best closing comment to everyone. Let heritage awaken our maritime consciousness. That would be our appeal to the larger audience. Great. Yes, that's, that's something I can definitely get behind. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. And uh, thank you all for joining us on All Things Sports. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, 
If you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.